The finish line is in sight for Ontario's political parties as we round into the last few days of the Ontario election campaign. Which way will the province go? Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. Boring, bland, blah have been the descriptors of this campaign. Not a lot of fireworks on the trail, but around it, well, severe storms raked the southern and eastern part of this province, still leaving thousands in the dark. Factory and sky-high prices for everything, a war in Eastern Europe, and another school shooting in the U.S., and the electorate could be forgiven for being distracted from this election. When the writ dropped, the Ford PCs were in the lead and in majority territory. They haven't relinquished much of it since. Our unpublished.vote question asked you, what do you think will be the outcome of the Ontario election? 56% predict a PC majority, 20.5% a PC minority, 7% predict a liberal minority, 4% an NDP minority, and other went to 12%. However, you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote, and then email your MP to tell them why. Joining us to discuss the campaign and where Ontario may turn, I'm pleased to be joined by Andrew Enns, Executive Vice President at Leger 360, Marvin Ryder, Associate Professor at the DeGroot School of Business at McMaster University, Tasha Carradine is a Principal at Navigator, and Stephanie Schwinnard, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Queen's University. And Andrew, considering we're coming out of the biggest health crisis in generations, how did the electorate seem to forget about the challenges of the last two years? Well, I think you know, one thing you have to keep in mind is that everybody's really focused on the road ahead. The, the, the last two years have not been not been good years, you're right. But I do think, in, and we're seeing it in our polling, people want to want to hear about how it's going to get better. What's the plan? What's the plan out of this as opposed to dwelling on we should have done this better, we should have done that better. Uh, so I think that's that's in part what what's contributing to people. And in some respect, uh, Doug Ford's uh, resiliency on the campaign trail on, on some pretty relenting, uh, relentless attacks on, on his pandemic record. Uh, in terms of the resiliency, can you give me an example? Well, I think his, 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 uh, the ballot number for one, our last polling had him at 38%, three points shy of, of what the 41% that got him, uh, got him elected uh, in 2018. And I think, quite frankly, with the splits, the way they're shaping up, he could end up uh, you know, doing better with, uh, with a few less points on popular vote. And I think his personal, his favorables, he was, Doug Ford's always been a bit of a divisive uh, figure in Ontario politics. I mean, lots of people really think he's a fantastic guy. Lots of people think he's the devil incarnate. Um, but the reality, those numbers are still kind of holding as we get into, the, into this campaign. Uh, you know, his favorables are still, they're still strong enough that he can go into a crowd and, and uh, find some friendly faces. Tasha, the PCs are, are seeing support among those red Tory liberals. Is that a reflection of the policies or a reflection of their leader? Oh, I think it's both. I think that, um, you know, Stephen Del Duca has still not managed to really define himself and his campaign. Uh, the liberals really didn't have a specific focus. They are actually on the same side as the NDP on a lot of issues, things like rent control, uh, getting rid of the 413. Uh, you know, the privatizing or ending private home care for seniors, for example, health care for seniors, for example, like it, it's kind of um, it, there's no standout. There's no, no breakout thing. And some of the gimmicks like, you know, a dollar for, for a ride on the TTC that, that he put forward sort of echoed 
Doug Ford's Buck a Beer from the last time. So a bit of a, almost a copycat there. So I think that, yes, there's a reflection that the liberals haven't really put forward an agenda that's really caught fire with their supporters. Um, I think there's also the fear, perhaps, by some of those uh, blue liberals that you mentioned that uh, that there could be some kind of coalition. And I think they could thank Mr. Trudeau for that because of the deal he struck with the NDP um, on the federal scene. So people can are maybe concerned about that provincially, but if, if, the, if the Tories have a minority, that that could be um, the situation here. Uh, Marvin, it, it appears the PCs are cruising toward a second majority. Or is there something there that, that can trip them up before the vote on the second? Ed, I have a favorite expression. He who never says anything can never say anything wrong. <laughs> and what, what Doug Ford is basically doing is just showing up for photo opportunities, but not talking. And he's made that the same policy for all of his candidates. Now, I'm speaking to you from the Hamilton area, and uh, we've had a series of televised debates for local ridings. Not once has a Tory uh, candidate shown up for one of those debates because they can't say anything, they can't say anything wrong and get anyone upset. And it seems to be working. You'd mentioned earlier uh, about sort of the general apathy. I, I think most people don't want to re-legislate the last couple of years. They want to put that in the rearview mirror. So they are a little more interested in the future, but I don't think they feel that Ontario policies have that much influence on them one way or the other. So we've not found an issue in the future to differentiate the teams. Therefore, uh, I'm not sure he's going to get as big a numbers. I'll trust Andrew on his polling with that. But uh, I certainly think it's going to be a majority in the real race is who's number two. Stephanie, the, the new conservative parties that uh, have appeared, New Blue, Ontario Party, Populist Party of Ontario, are they a threat to the PC majority? I don't think so, quite frankly. Um, you know, there was a bit of a, a a bit of a concern in some rural ridings, particularly. We know that uh, the uh, the PPC federally had shared uh, their member lists uh, with uh, with some of these new parties and uh, in, in some ridings, trying to get them some uh, supplementary momentum. But what we're seeing in the polls right now is that uh, both of these parties. Uh, might not even make a blip in 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 several writings. So um, I think uh, Mr. Ford can sleep uh, soundly that uh, that these two new parties are not going to to threaten uh, his uh, his candidates. Uh, generally speaking, uh, Andrew, voter turnout was was pretty solid in 2018. You expect a repeat, and if not, which which party benefits? Well. You know, solid. It's it's still not not terrific numbers no. in 2018. I think it was 56 percent, and and you know you'd like to think uh, it would be there'd be a more engaged population. I suspect voter turnout actually could be could be below that. I mean, just you know the last couple of elections, uh, 2014 and and uh, the one before that, they were actually quite low. They were closer to 50 percent. So we could see something uh, below 55 percent. In this election, and I think, quite frankly, that helps uh, the PCs and, and Premier Ford. I think older voters will be are, are historically more likely to get out and vote, and the PCs currently pull strong with that with that older uh, that older voter. Um, I think also uh, remains to be seen. We've got some data coming out tomorrow in, in, a, in a poll to see what kind of advanced polling numbers and whether one party did better, but. PCs historically, and, and usually governments in general, tend to have good, strong ground games. So low turnout, you know, then suddenly it's up to your ground game to get out your support, and that might favor the PCs as well. 
Uh, Tasha, is it surprising a number of uh, labor unions are, are, are lining up with the PCs? They're not really known to be hanging out with organized organized labor. Yeah, they're not. Um, the uh, the labor unions in question, of course, are private sector labor unions. And it's been a coup, definitely, for the progressive conservatives to have them on side. Um, they uh, sort of put a lie to, like you said, the dominance that the left has been able to claim in terms of union representation. Now, the major unions, major public sector unions, of course, still um, on the, not in the conservative camp. But uh, I think that it is significant. I think it speaks to the focus this government's put on the trades. It's also, um, you know, it, it moved, it, it, it shifted position in terms of protecting workers and the worker protections and sick days and that sort of thing, which it did pivot to in the latter stage of the pandemic after uh, torpedoing original legislation that had been on the books by the liberals for that same purpose. So um, I think that, you know, it, it, it speaks, it's clever politics, but it's also the right thing to do. I think that, you know, the party, if it, if it wants to grow and if it wants to represent all Ontarians, it does need to connect with workers in all sectors. And so I think Mr. Ford, he's also, I think, um, a, a very relatable politician. Um, he is, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a populist himself. Uh, let's, let's, you know, be clear about that too. He has that populist touch. And I think that that has also helped him connect um, with different groups in the province. And he's worked that for this election very effectively. It, well, I, I can see where a lot of them would line up when, when I guess the, the key of the, the platform is a $10 billion basic construction project. Yep. Um, it, it, so it's not really that much of a surprise. No, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a surprise. I mean, infrastructure, I mean, you know, it, it, it's something that the Tories have championed here. He's also, Doug Ford's also talked about the ring of fire and um, the need for developing the north of Ontario. I mean, endless ads on the radio about creating those gross high value jobs. Um, even saying that it's people who, you know, who shower at the, at the, end of the day, not in the morning that built this province, um, you know, taking a bit of a, a swipe at the elites. We're seeing that in the federal conservative race as well. Um, so I think that, yeah, the, the conservative party here, the difference is they haven't fallen into the negative stuff. It's been more touting the positive aspects of those kinds of, of projects and those kinds of jobs and the need to build. And again, it's, it's, it's the sense of, of optimism that Ford manages to convey. And I think people are hungry for that after the pandemic. I think it helps them actually that the, the timing of this election is, is very helpful in terms of it's the summer and if people are now thinking or almost the summer, they, they want to just forget about the pandemic and move forward. Uh, now, Marvin, you're in Hamilton and this is Andrea Horvath's fourth campaign. If she doesn't win, is this party looking for a new leader? Yes. Short answer. Yes. <laughs> um, you can only you can only do this for so many times. Now, she's the opposition leader at the moment. I believe it was 39 seats at dissolution. I think she'll be lucky to crack 30. So first, her seat count will go down. I think it's possible she'll lose the opposition leader status. In other words, I think the liberals may gain enough to do it. That's the real question. I could even see a tie, each of them with maybe about 24 seats. Uh, and then I don't know who becomes opposition leader if the two parties are tied. But if her count goes down and she doesn't seem to move forward, yes, this would be the end of Andrea Horvath for sure. Uh, Stephanie, Stephen Del Duca, if he doesn't win his seat, is he done? That's a great question. Uh, you know, we've seen uh, leaders be given more than one kick at the can and, and to have some time 
uh, away from the legislature. We can think of Jagmeet Singh, for example, who was uh, not an elected MP for, for a couple of years uh, as, uh, as head of the NDP. I'm not sure the Liberal Party of Ontario has that much time for Stephen Del Duca, however. Uh, one question is, if not Stephen Del Duca, then who, right? Uh, who, who would be willing to step up and and replace him, uh, especially in a time where, you know, it's very clear that the Liberal Party is still rebuilding. Uh, we're not expecting them in any way, shape or form uh, to uh, to perform uh, fantastically on June 2nd right now. Uh, so um, there there might be some some sharp elbows uh, for sure if uh, if Mr. Del Duca uh, does not manage to uh, pick up his seat from Michael Tavolo, but uh, but I, I think the jury's still out on that one. You know, Andrew, it uh, we, we talked about, uh, and, and Marvin brought this up, about uh, being stage-managed, the PCs. They won't answer questions. They don't scrum. Um, protesters have been roughed up at a couple of events. Uh, does that not factor in for the electorate? It, it really depends on the mood of the electorate, uh, Ed. I mean, you know, if you get into a situation where there's a real appetite for change, and there's some real hard questions and some hard focus on the government and the government record, then that can then that approach to um, to sort of duck and bob and weave that becomes problematic. Um, I think in this election, and, and a number of, of your guests have touched on it. You know, there, there hasn't been that galvanizing issue. The government record. You know, yeah, it's not the, it wasn't great in the pandemic, but I also, I also, you know, from earlier research that we've done, there's a large segment of the population that while they complain about the job Ontario did in the pandemic, they also kind of grudgingly say, not sure anybody else did much better. Uh, and so it, it almost, it's a bit of a wash. And I think, I think uh, Tasha said it, said it best. People really want to focus on what's going on in, 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 in the future, quite frankly, that the timing is really good. People want to get, get into summer, mm. <laughs> get into summer, get the election behind them. And I think in that sense, they're, they're not really, they're not really thirsty for a bunch of government, uh, you know, PC blood on the table. And so the fact that they can, they can dodge a few debates. I think it's also a testament to the fact that, uh, you know, or evidence to the fact that the other opposition leaders haven't managed Andrew Horvath has a problem. It's her fourth go. And I think there's a lot of just, hmm, I've seen this, I've seen this story and record before, and I'm not that interested. And Stephen Del Duca, again, one of your guests said it, has it quite connected strongly with the public. And so no one's asking those hard questions that the public wants to follow up on. You know, Tasha, it, it's been interesting leading up to the the election campaign. You know, Doug Ford and, and Justin Trudeau did not seem to get along very well during the pandemic. <laughs> and then the last few couple of weeks, maybe a month or so, then there's a couple of joint announcements. And, and you know, is he become a better politician? Uh, is he sort of, you know, why why are the two of them getting along so well? Well, uh, there's this sense sometimes, and we hear this in, in Canadian politics, that if you've got a conservative government at one level of, uh, you know, the provincial level, it works as a federal government that's liberal, they play off each other. In this case, though, you're seeing, yes, you're seeing a bit of cooperation, interestingly enough. And uh, the childcare thing, I think, was a big one. Um, you know, Doug Ford knows that there is an appetite, definitely, uh, especially, I mean, here in Toronto, where I'm sitting, you've got costs of childcare topping $20,000 a year uh, for parents. 
So there's, you know, anything he can bring them to say, hey, look, I'm going to help with that. And again, um, there are conservatives who take a very different view of how childcare should be managed and how, how it should be, you know, parental choice, for example, instead of perhaps uh, funding spaces and that kind of debate can be had. But the point is, um, Ford, Ford's popularity, I think we said it earlier, it cuts across political lines, too. He's trying to broaden that appeal and he's broadening it to groups that maybe traditionally would not have looked at the party, um, such as uh, the labor unions, working class and also um, you know, trying to see what they could do in the cities. If there's enough of a split, I mean, the odds of them winning the riding I'm sitting in Toronto Center, probably pretty slim. I guess the conservative candidate doesn't want to hear that. But to uh, the point Marvin made earlier, uh, there's been, you know, there's been no debates here either that she's been attending. Uh, the conservatives have been playing it really safe. So, you know, there could be some surprises. And I think that cooperating with Trudeau is one way of saying that, you know, or, or getting a deal is to say, look, I'm a leader who can get things done. I mean, that's the motto of this campaign for the Tories, right, mm. is to, to get things done. And um, if uh, if he can do that with a liberal, then, gee, what could he do if there was a Tory, I guess, in power is, is the message. He's he's the leader who gets stuff done no matter who else he has to deal with. Ed, Ed can I chip down okay, on sure. a second? Uh, there is a famous cover of Maclean's magazine in which there were a series of Tory leaders, provincial leaders, mm. the federal the leader, this was the new wave of conservatism. And, and you can take a black marker and start crossing out faces there. One of the few people on that cover is still standing is Doug Ford. And I think the lesson from Doug Ford is uh, if, if you just are too antagonistic towards Ottawa, uh, you're not going to get the money, you're not going to get the goodies and God knows over the last two years, there have been a ton of goodies from the federal government helping at the provincial level, cash flowing in a way has never flowed before and may continue to flow. Uh, Mr. Trudeau has said that whenever the pandemic is declared over, he wants to talk some more about health care funding, which is a big chunk of everybody's budget. So if you see Jason Kenney die, if you see Andrew Scheer die, uh, pivoting a little bit and maybe not loving Justin Trudeau, but embracing some of the things that he's prepared to do and fund uh, and bring that money to your province, I don't think this is such a crazy thing. Uh, you know, following up on that, uh, as Stephanie, is, you know, Doug Ford's success something that, you know, the Jason Kenney's, uh, Scott Moe's should be maybe taking a look at? I mean, there's been a few, quite a few pieces in the last, uh, in the last week about that and the comparison between Jason Kenney, uh, who was, a little bit more dogmatic, refused in a sense to follow, you know, science uh, with, well, science does not need uh, parentheses, but um, was, you know, not, not, not willing to stick mm. to, uh, to guidelines. Uh, we all remember best summer ever and what a bust that was King September in Alberta, obviously. Uh, and, uh, and Doug Ford, who was more keen on uh, listening to experts and was relying uh, a little bit more on um, on expert advice uh, in order to to guide where Ontario was going with respect to COVID nineteen. Obviously, he didn't do that perfectly. No government did, I think, uh, in in the federation. And we all remember in March when uh, things started to open up in Ontario, everyone saw that strategy loud and clear. We saw the election coming. We all knew that Mr. Ford did not want COVID nineteen to be in people's minds. Come June second, that could have had a boomerang effect if we were right now in the middle of a crisis such as, you know, the one that Newfoundland and Labrador saw last year during uh, their provincial election that hurt Andrew Fury quite a lot at the polls. Uh, so uh, that did not happen. So that, that strategy 
uh, very much paid off. Um, we also need to be cognizant, however, that uh, the progressive conservative base in Ontario is not quite like what Jason Kenney was looking at in Alberta. Uh, it, it's very important to understand that ideologically, there's a little bit of daylight between those two bases. And we're seeing that happening right now with uh, the follow-up of uh, Jason Kenney's uh, stepping down. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we all remember J Jason Kenney saying, I'm the one holding the crazies back, essentially. And, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, reports now that Brian Jean, one of the contenders for uh, the UCP leader, threatened to beat up another one of the candidates and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so, uh, so, so I don't think it's entirely fair to Jason Kenney to see, to say, well, you should have just done what Doug Ford did, because I'm not sure that would have played as well as it did in Ontario. You know, I can, if I can jump in sure. for a second, too, I think that there's something definitely to that because um, studies that, that uh, we've done at Navigator in terms of satisfaction on pandemic management show Albertans are the least satisfied uh, with the management of the pandemic. And ironically, they had the most, you know, uh, liberal or, or uh, disregarding of the science, I'll say, uh, regulations in the country. So how far did they want them to go even further than that, I guess, in terms of, of, of a lack of of regulation on things like masking and vaccines and others. So um, the populace there, Stephanie's absolutely right. The base is different. Um, it's got different expectations and Kenny failed to meet those expectations. Uh, so that explains a lot of why he is where he's at today. And whereas Doug Ford, I think benefited from a population that was more open, even though he flip-flopped an awful lot during the pandemic, he went back and forth and infuriated parents in particular. Um, but I think the point's been made that people want to put that in the rearview mirror, and they did give him a decent grade, at least compared to Jason Kenney. Uh, you know, Andrew, I, I wonder, you know, we talk about, you know, people want to look forward, and I, I think back to the, the final debate, uh, provincial leaders debate, and it was, it, it just seemed, other than Mike Schreiner, nobody could really, really get a hand on him. Did you, did you see that, or did you get that? Yeah, I, I think the leaders really really struggled to sort of lay that body blow, that really significant blow on, on, on the premier. Andrea Horvath, I think had some good moments, but I think the problem for her is one, this is her, you know, fourth round of leader debates. And I think she's, some of her stronger points were kind of re rehashing the pandemic, you know, what went wrong and, and, you know, calling in the army. And I think Again, I, I just don't think that the, the public is is that uh, Premier Ford was able to, and, and I give him I give him credit throughout the pandemic. I always thought he did well when he was wrong, when he made a mistake, when things didn't go well. He he owned up to it, mm. and I think that served him well. It serves him well now when he stands there and says, "I didn't do the best I could. We're learning from it, and our goal is to be better and, and move forward." That there's an audience for that kind of uh, that kind of pivot and that kind of message. Uh, you, you know, Tasha, we 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 talk about that that debate, and, and I thought you know there was a lot of body blows that were left unsaid, uh, except for for Mike Schreiner, and and he is in there, and he's digging for a, for a second seat there for the Green Party. Do you think it's a possibility they'll get that second seat on Thursday? I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm not a pollster. And so I can't really drill down to the numbers that, that they're expecting. But my sense of it is that people are looking at this election. And if the Green Party is a place, and the last polling I saw, I think they're at 6%. So, you know, not, not I don't know if have a split, that splits out, like I said, but not significant enough to get them any major representation beyond what they have now, probably. Um, and I think people 
unfortunately in Canada, the Green Party has never had the traction it's had for it uh, in Europe, for example, where people look at it as a serious option. Here, it's kind of a, well, if we're really unhappy with everybody else, almost a protest vote in some senses, it hasn't defined itself either, I think, as fully as the Greens in uh, in Europe, who really had a very strong um, political agenda also beyond environmentalism. I mean, here people think, well, I can get environmental agendas with all the other parties too. So if I like one of theirs and you know, it's, it's not a defining issue the way that it was the height of the green movement um, overseas. So I think that maybe they missed that boat here in a way. Um, and I mean, you know, to his credit, yeah, Schreiner was very good in the debates, no question. But I don't think that will necessarily translate to, to enough support to get them, like I said, major representation. And Stephanie, Andy, if, if, I, if I can sure. jump in, jump uh, in. The, I think the Greens have this one window of opportunity in Perry Sound, Muskoka, because the liberal candidate had to be dropped. Uh, and so they were possibly uh, second or third in some people's minds. And so there might be a possibility here for that reason uh, that uh, that the green candidate can 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 swing through. And that would be a huge, uh, a huge boon for Mike Schreiner, uh, for sure, not to be alone anymore in the legislature. Uh, but I'm not sure that's entirely the Green Party's doing. Uh, I, I think they're just benefiting from 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 that opportunity there. Well, you just you, you take advantage of your opportunities, do you not? <laughs> You have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially in politics and with a few days left in the election campaign. All right, let's uh, let, let's uh, do uh, some predictions here. Andrew, uh, what do you think is going to be the result on Thursday evening here in Ontario? Well, I would say Doug Ford will, uh, will uh, cruise to another healthy majority. I think there's a chance that he gets somewhere in around the 75 to 80, 80 seats uh, is, is possible for uh, for. Uh, Premier Ford, and um, I, you know, the, the the race per second and third, as someone said, is very is very interesting. Uh, I picked up a little bit, uh, some faltering on the Liberal side and a little bit of pickup on the NDP. So we'll, we'll be very interesting to see what the last polls show. But uh, I think that race per second and third will be very close. Some very, very close ridings, I believe, in some of the regions with these with these three way splits and, and how they uh how they unfold, uh, it'll be very important for the ground games of those parties to see who, who has got the work uh, got the work done to bring a riding home. Okay, Marvin, what do you think of the results on Thursday evening? So I'm going to be a little less um, generous than Andrew. I still think it's a conservative majority. I think more in the 74-seat range with the Liberals and the NDP uh, maybe splitting around 48 seats and then Shriner showing up and then one other. Now, you mentioned the race in Muskoka. We have one here in Hamilton where the sitting NDP candidate was not allowed to run as an NDP. So he's running as an independent. Um, there's also a very popular liberal and very popular conservative. So again, depending upon how that splits, you could even have one independent joining the ranks. But it, it really is the race for second, possibly tied uh, the liberals and the NDP. And if that's the case, I don't know who's the opposition leader. I guess they flip a coin. Uh, Tasha, your prediction. Um, I'm kind of going to split the difference, I think, between 70 and 75 seats for, for the Tories. And um, yeah, with regards to the splits, I really it's very, very difficult to predict who, what, where um, for the other parties. I think it will come down to the ground game. And that's again, it's, it's a local thing. You have enough of a, of a team to get out your vote. You have a better shot. And if not, well, you're probably going to be sitting at home. <laughs> uh, and Stephanie, what's your prediction for, for Thursday evening? I'm going to go with the family here. Uh, I think we're all seeing sort of the same thing. So uh, I think the PCs will be as comfortable in Queen's Park after June 2nd as they were at dissolution of uh, of the ledge. 
Uh, I'm predicting the Liberals will be doing better than last time, which wouldn't be <laughs> too much yeah, of a record. Not much. <laughs> so, so I'm predicting between. Way to go out on a limb, Stephanie. Way I to know, go right? out on a yeah, limb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so between 18 and 20 seats, perhaps uh, for the Liberals. I'm I'm going to to say two for the Greens and and, and the rest. For the NDP. So I, I do predict that Andrew Horvath will remain um, the uh, official opposition leader. But yeah. for how long? Yeah, I that's, that's what, you know, how many times can you be second or third, right? Before you have to go in another direction. Exactly. Yeah. All right, folks, I want to thank our guest today on Unpublished TV, Andrew Enns, Executive Vice President at Leger 360, Marvin Ryder, Associate Professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Tasha Carradine is a principal at Navigator, and Stephanie Schwinnard, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Queen's University. Now, Election Day is June 2nd. Make sure you get out and vote. Thanks for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand. <music>